Jesus comforts the sisters. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with him, with Mary, in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So Lazarus died. And Colin's got his work cut out today. Verse 23, please, Colin. <laughs> Thank you. And... Uh, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Okay. And then her response is interesting. Martha answered, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Some future hope. And maybe a little remote hope. And I wonder if our hope in 2015 is perhaps a, a little remote, a little dimmed, perhaps bashed by life's knocks, maybe. Or maybe just, you know, oh, it's a, another new year, I've got to pick myself up again after all the Christmas. 
You know, the Christmas holiday blues is a phenomenon, isn't it? And, um, uh, and maybe we have a, a sort of um, a, this distant hope, oh, well, things may be okay. But Jesus then said, in verse 25, please, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked the sisters. And the immediate, not just some future hope, but Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. What a remarkable statement by Jesus. Just declaring his, his divinity. This was obviously before he died and rose again. Although just at the, in the next chapter, the, uh, the authorities planned to, uh, to kill him. So he was aware that he was going to die and, and rise again. But here he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. This is immediate. This is now. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus will direct your 2015? Do you believe that Jesus will be there in the difficult times in the year? Do you believe that Jesus will be there in the joyful, wonderful times of 2015? Do you believe that he's, he's got a, a role for you to play in, in 2015 to bring the hope and the joy and the life, even death, couldn't stop Jesus in the ministry with this family. And even whatever 2015 might throw at you, he can't stop the Lord being glorified. Let's go into 2015 believing it. Do you believe this? I believe, we can say, in Jesus who rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, he brought life and life in all its fullness. You see, Jesus brought life. Materially, he changed water into wine. Spiritually, instances such as the Samaritan woman who brought her at the well. You remember the story where he brought her spiritual life. Physical healings he brought. And then in John 10, verse 10, life and life in all its fullness, even resurrection from the dead. Jesus brings life. Let's believe it. And then verse 33, please, Colin. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The incarnation that we've just been celebrating, God coming to earth. Well, this is an illustration how Jesus was aware and was um, empathizing with, uh, with, uh, with Martha and Mary. And then, does anybody know what verse 35 is? Is it there? No. 
the shortest verse in the Bible. Anybody know it? Jesus wept. What a short but profound verse that Jesus wept. He knows the trials and tribulations in our life. He knows the joys and and he he wants to, to be with us in those. And that... That short verse, Jesus wept, just emphasizes that. This year, we don't know what will happen, but what we do know is that Jesus can be very close and that Jesus can bring glory to himself, whether it's the difficult times or the joyful, wonderful times. Let's conclude the reading, shall we, with the, the last part. Thank you. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So the story ended positively. He cried out, Lazarus, come out. Do you know why he had to identify Lazarus, come out? If he'd have just said, come out, uh, they'd have all had to have come and... um, And that would have been perhaps chaos, but Lazarus, come out. And can you imagine the the joy and the uh, celebration that, that happened and the bewilderment? What is going on here? And as I've already mentioned, it was then that the authorities felt, we must get rid of this man. What's all this about? And I'd like to end the sermon with the thought that prompted this reading for me. At the start of this year, how are you feeling? Are you feeling full of hope? Full of joy? Full of a desire to serve God? Full of expectation in what what will happen to you is positive? What will happen to the church is, is good? What the church can can do for God this year. If that's so, then 
rejoice in that. That is wonderful. And when we come to the covenant in a moment, then just, just go for it and, uh, and commit your life again to the Lord. But it may be that that's not how you're feeling. It may be that you're not feeling so great. You perhaps can't put your finger on it. It's perhaps just a, well, maybe our hopes, maybe our calling, maybe our faith are somehow buried a bit. In a tomb, perhaps, you could say, under the disappointments of last year or, or the worry about what next year might bring. Or just, well, we've had a fortnight off and I don't want to go to work tomorrow or whatever it is. But I think this story is about hope coming alive again. Faith coming alive again. Calling coming alive again. And so, remember this story. Write it on your bits of paper or on your phone or on your heart. And may you know a resurrection of that hope and that joy and that desire to serve God. So that we can enter the new year whatever it may bring, with that desire. I think I'm right in saying that the, Lord, the Lord's purpose for our life, for our lives, is not that we are happy. That's not our pri- his primary purpose for our lives. I believe that he wants us to be happy, but that's not his primary purpose. I believe his primary purpose is not happiness, because that can be dependent on all sorts of circumstances, but on holiness. And if God is able to bring us to a greater level of holiness in 2015, then he will be glorified, and I also believe that as a consequence of that, we will be happier because we're more holy. And by holy, I don't mean that, um, you know, we've got to go off and be monks and nuns, but just that our life is, is dedicated to the Lord. And that whatever happens, we can just uh, bring it to the Lord and, and see that He can be glorified through it. So I do pray for a happy new year for each one of you. And it's not wrong to say it, but maybe we could also say, have a holy new year. And let's see. (laughs) Carol, have a holy new year. And as I said with the the children about getting closer to the Lord and, uh, and living our lives his way, being holy. And then I believe that that will lead 
to a happy new year. So what happened next? Well, Jesus was, was arrested short time after this. It was a Passover feast and, and he died. But then he rose again. And this is uh, interesting. All this story happened a bit before that. Lazarus, well, he came alive again and then he died. It was a resuscitation. It wasn't a resurrection. But then, because of Jesus dying and rising again, he would have risen again in newness of life. A hope which affects us all. And so, I encourage us to go into the new year with hope in our hearts. Not because everything will go well, but because the Lord is with us and the Lord is guiding and we can respond to him and bring glory to his name. Amen. Just before we um, uh, read out the covenant together, I'd like us to uh, just have a look at it, if we may. So just to remind or inform you, this started in 1755 by Wesley, who wanted to guide people in the new year as a way of rededicating their lives. And there was all sorts of words that he could have used. These are the words. It's been just updated in terms of the language, but I'll, uh, I'll read it through to you and then we'll all read together. Lord God, Holy Father, since you have called us through Jesus Christ to share in this gracious covenant, we take upon ourselves the yoke of obedience. So if you say these words, and please don't say them if you don't mean them, but take on the yoke of obedience that uh, too often uh, in, uh, in sort of worldly terms it's about be, I'll be independent, I'll make my own decisions. Sometimes at funerals people say, I want that song, I did it my way. This is the opposite to that. The yoke of obedience. We're saying we want to do things God's way. Next slide please. And for the love of you, we engage ourselves in the task of making you known to our neighbours. What a great task that is. And serving them in your name. Another great task. We are no longer our own, but yours. Reiterating this idea of commitment to the Lord. And then, next slide. The, uh, the personal prayer. So that was a, a we, what we're about. Then it's, I am no longer my own, but yours. Wow, this is powerful stuff, isn't it? Send me where you will. Okay? Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing what you will. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. See, it's not what we want. It's promising obedience. Just being guided by the Lord. Next slide. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. It's not dependent on circumstances. Oh, it's a good year, I've, 
but I've had all sorts of things. It's a good year if we just follow the Lord. And then next slide. I freely and gladly yield my life and all I possess to your pleasure and disposal. disposal. I am yours and you are mine. So be it. Amen. I believe if we say these words, then it's powerful and good. But they're not to be taken lightly. And so if you don't feel able to say perhaps some of them, don't say it. But maybe make some other commitment, like I'm going to search for you, Lord. I don't yet feel able to say this, but I'm going to commit myself to searching for you. I'm not ignoring you. And then the last bit of the covenant service, we're going to say after communion, because it's all about how we can't do this, all of this, without the Holy Spirit, just by our own will. We can't do it. But with God's Holy Spirit, we can. And so we're going to say this, we're going to sing a bit more, just to uh, invite the Lord. Then we're going to share communion. Then we'll say the last part. Is that okay? So could I invite you to uh, stand if you're able? And we'll, uh, we'll say, uh, go back to the um, first slide. Okay, so let's say together. Lord God, Holy Father, since you have called us through Christ, share in this gracious covenant, we take upon ourselves the yoke of obedience. And for love of you, we engage ourselves in the task of making you known for neighbours and serving them in your name. We are no longer our own, but yours. I am no longer my own, but yours. Send me where you will. Rank with me whom you will. Put me to doing what you will. Let me be employed for you, or laid aside for you. Exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and gladly give my life and all I possess to your pleasure and disposal. I am yours and you are mine, so be it. Amen. Let's remain standing and let's just respond to that in song as we sing two songs, the first one just emphasizing here I am, wholly available. And then we move on to a, a song of rejoicing that we do believe that he is here now and directing us and guiding us and, and with us. Let's worship the Lord.